Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books and Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, I have the pleasure today of speaking with Dr. Bavina Rodriguez, who is adjunct faculty at the Star King School for the Ministry at the Graduate Theological Union. Um, we'll be speaking about a really fascinating new publication called A Shakta Method for Comparative the- Theology, Upside Down, Inside Out. Ravina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Raj. Super excited to be here. So tell us a Shakta method. Maybe say a little word about what Shakta means for some of the more generalist audience, and then maybe tell us a little bit about how you got interested in this project. Um, so Shakta comes from, you know, Shaktas are basically those who worship Shakti. And um, Shakti is divine energy, it's power, it's feminine energy in the Hindu tradition. So Shaktas are those who worship uh, uh, the goddess in the Hindu tradition, uh, just as, um, you know, uh, those who worship Christ are called Christians. So those who worship uh, Shakti are called Shaktans. And um, how I got interested, uh, or, you know, how I, how I basically started work on this uh, project um, so I've been thinking about some of these themes as a doctoral student and uh, what a Shakta method for comparative theology would look like, or even uh, what a Shakta uh, theology of religions would look like. And then I decided to sort of uh, engage these uh, themes in my dissertation. So when I wrote the initial draft, um, you know, we were in a pandemic and there was a lot that was going on at that time. I had to move apartments. Um, I was actually living in an armed housemaid situation, which got life-threatening. So the first draft that I wrote was not a clear reflection of my writing skills. So several years later, I picked up the project and uh, uh, revised it and uh, in a much more peaceful environment. I mean, I, I still wish that I had like a quiet uh, beach house, but you know, I had to work. Don't, <laughs> don't we all? Don't we yeah. all? <laughs> It really has the writing project, but um, but that's how a lot of these uh, themes, basically, I started to think about a lot of these themes as a doctoral student and also as um, as uh, someone who has been uh, raised Catholic and then got initiated into the Shakta tradition. So what would, how would Shaktas think about um, other religions and uh, what would that framework look like if it had to come from the Daily Mahatmin? Well, the Devi Mahatmya is a text that um, I have a little bit of familiarity with. <laughs> yeah, um, a So, so uh, well, really, I sort of switch into a podcast host more rather than specialist or, or scholar mode for the podcast. But I'd be fascinated to know what is it that struck you about that text? Like, what was your experience in looking through the Devi Mahatmya? Maybe you could say a quick word about what that text is. Um, and why did you think it would make for interesting thought or for comparative theology, comparative religions? 
So, you know, when I think of the Devi Mahatmyam, um, and what you probably know, and uh, it is that it is a central text for all those who worship the goddess in the Hindu tradition. And whether you go to North India, to South India, to, you know, East India, wherever you go, you may have different um, uh, translations or you may have uh, uh, different versions that, it, in the sense that the way it's chanted is different. But it is still a central text. And um, the reason why I was totally drawn to it was um, because because it's just so fascinating. And I thought that it would it would be really great if I could bring that central text into um, uh, into a conversation, uh, you know, with comparative theologians. So that's the reason why I sort of thought of, um, uh, you know, um, bringing the Devi Mahatmyam and looking at it uh, philosophically and also basically engaging a part of the Devi Mahatmyam, which is generally not engaged, you know, the, the Rahasyams. So when you look at uh, um, um, academic uh, texts and everything that is written, um, scholars don't really talk about the Rahasyams or they don't talk about the Devi Atharvashesha, which is, which is a child. Um, and which basically has a the essence of the entire Devi Mahatmyam, and it's it's beautiful when it is chanted and when it's in Sanskrit. So I thought of engaging all of that because the mysteries are sort of unveiled and uh, they are unfolded in the Nasyams. So I thought it would be great if I could bring that. Uh, into conversation and thinking about other religions. Yeah, fascinating. So for those listening, many of you have probably heard us talk about this text in passing, uh, but the, the Devi Matmyam is a really fascinating work in that it is the first, it's the oldest first Indic uh, Sanskritic articulation of um, a great goddess, you know, the, the supreme being feminine. And really, to my knowledge, this is really the only surviving great goddess cult tradition from antiquity. So it really is a fascinating, pivotal work. Uh, surprisingly, there's so few of us who are really looking at this work, and yet it's, think about it, it's it's really the only uh, source text we have for uh, traditions which say that the divine is a she, one of the first ones. Um, it's chanted, uh, just, uh, I'll, just one more quick loss for those listening. So in addition to being a mythological text, it has a rich uh, liturgical uh, ritual life and it's chanted, the, the 13 chapters are chanted alongside what Rabino was talking about, the, the rasyams, the, the secrets or the mysteries and uh, other glorious hymns, uh, the Argala, the Kilika and this, this Natarvashyosha. So so part of what's innovative is that you're actually doing analysis on, on the Chandipat, the, the, the sort of the, 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 the ritual appendages of the Devi Mahatmya um, for, for content. And so what is it that you find? What is it that you find in the Rasyas, et cetera, et cetera that so interests you for this comparative uh, theology? So what I find interesting in the Rasyams, in these mysteries, uh, that is what Rasyams uh, mean, is that... Um, it articulates how the world has come into existence. So there's this concept of, uh, you know, the one, and then that's the, the but the source matter of the one, and these are, you, you know, I don't want to get too much into Sanskrit, but but the term that is used is which means that the, the source matter for the universe is actually the goddess herself. And then in the Vaikritikam Rahasyam is how this, original primordial matter basically mutates and and that that's that's the meaning of the term vaikriti and you know how how from this 
original source matter all form comes into existence and then we have the multirasyam which basically means the form and of course ritually it it sort of delineates who are the various gods and goddesses uh, that have to be worshipped but what is interesting and this is this is a mystery is that everything that we're looking at sentient insentient everything that we touch we feel that we see is actually a form of the goddess um uh, you know we we tend to think that this is this is inanimate this is precious insentient this doesn't really have life but actually uh, everything that we're looking at that we stand on that we walk that we breathe is all um uh, a form of the swarupa of the the um uh, the, the the true nature of the goddess and say a bit more about this method that you propose the shakta method for comparative theology yeah so what i do is i propose a method i propose um anti method and i also propose a method so um first is basically anti method and um what i argue is that um among comparative theologians and the way basically uh, theology is being studied right now is that it's hypertextual and there is a privileging of the mind and um the the entire human body is a is an instrument a yantra in order to and in order to understand ultimate reality you basically have to uh look at the body mind and the sense complex non hierarchically and when you look at it non hierarchically what happens is that you you are not just privileging one aspect or just the intellect and you know you're not you're not just trying to read something in order to um understand it through reason but you're engaging other parts of your senses other parts of your body and that's how you can sort of understand ultimate reality so that's anti method and then there is um a method and a method basically um, um uh, comes from you know the up that's the subtitle of the book upside down um uh, so so it's upside it comes from the the ashvatha tree which is the bhagavad gita you know this upside down tree which has its roots in heaven and its branches towards the earth so you're looking at reality in an upside down way and it's it's basically mystical reality where you have sort of surrendered your entire your entire being your uh, senses to the divine and and then you just go with the flow of the universe this doesn't mean that you don't make decisions you make decisions and if you want to understand something you still understand you place that intention before the universe but that way of being is is quite different from um it's it's a, a, it's a passive way of being where you are just taken with the flow of the universe and then you understand reality and reality will just start presenting itself uh, to you so that's the a method and for method what i propose is um you know a, a gestural method an auditory method and a haptics a, a method that uses touch or nyasa which which all comes from the puja ritual so the auditory method is basically method that has to do with mantra when you're listening to things and not just not just um recitation it can be it can be poetry so not just prose it it's it's soul so that all comes under the auditory method and then the gestural method has to do with mudras of the way you want to connect your body to to ultimate reality or you know the way you're connecting uh, uh, um, uh your senses to ultimate reality and then uh there's haptics touch and when i when i talk about touch i'm not specifically talking about touch in 
um, uh, in terms of communicating with human beings, but um, uh, keeping one's uh, senses, one's body uh, open to being touched by by other realities. Um, so, so that's that's basically the uh, method, anti-method, and a method uh, that I propose for comparative theology. Say a bit more about the intervention that you're hoping um, so accomplished with the book. What is um, what is the state of the field at present, and what's different about what this book is doing? So, I think that what's happening is, you know, as I mentioned in chapter one of the book, is that there is a lacuna in the sense that uh, Hindu theologians are are missing, right, in comparative theology. And what's happening is that so there's there's like this imbalance where you have um, uh, people from other traditions um, trying, doing their best to describe, to um, uh, articulate a theology of religions, to talk about other religions, and, and to sort of present what it would be like. But we have very few scholars and um, uh, who are trained comparative theologians who are sometimes not even interested in, in doing comparative theology. So, uh, so it's important, I think, because First is it presents a Hindu perspective and a Hindu Shakta perspective um, on what uh, a theology of religions would look like um, if it had to be based on a specific uh, text in the Hindu world. And then it also proposes, um, you know, certain, certain ways of basically um, engaging in interreligious dialogue. So it would not just be an intellectual engagement uh, because everything in the Hindu world is so evocative, it's so bright and beautiful. There's there's uh, there's an engagement of the senses. There's um, uh, you know you would light you would light a flame, uh, you would light a candle, you would um, there would be incense, there would be flowers. So so there's there's a way of sort of uh, immersing yourself in a specific uh, a context and then understanding the other. So I think that it's really important because it sort of takes the focus off. Um, the way theology is being done, which is um, which is a very um, um, dry method, you know, just reading text, and it 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 encourages people to basically situate themselves, and especially those who are interested in interreligious dialogue and comparative theology, it encourages them to basically move into these communities and to sit and to learn and to engage people in real time. Um, so that's basically what it does. Um, so an emphasis on embodiment, perhaps. Yes, yes, totally. Somatic experiences, uh, and I use that term quite a bit. You know, somatic experiences, uh, an experience of the senses, of um, but, you know, yeah, of, of the visual, visual realities. Um, you know, and and sitting in a temple, listening to chants, and then see what comes up for you, and then engaging that question. Um, you know, as as you participate in your in your ritual or more with with a community with people, so on and so forth. Yeah. Is this work that you are continuing somehow? Um, what what do you mean? As in, are you? Is this will you will you be um, in terms of further research? I mean, is this something where you feel okay? Well, this method yeah. isn't hashed out. It's all good and well for now. Is it something you hope to to develop or continue working on? Um. I, it's it seems like um, on on the because I, I'm waiting to see some book reviews and you know what people think about it uh, and and if I feel like it I need to elaborate certain sections or you know um, certain parts of 
what has been said, then uh, then I will definitely continue. But um, I get bored very easily, so I'm so you know, I'm trying to look for other things and other uh, projects and yeah, working on other things right now. Are they shocked to projects? Yeah, yeah, they are. There's this one that I'm working on right now, which is basically, um, it's it's an edited volume and um, uh, it, it it'll have uh, contemporary essays on on the daily Mahatmyam. So you know, it could be like a literary lens or a a social lens or um, a spiritual lens. A womanist or a feminist lens, all the daily mapping. So it has like a bunch of contemporary essays. Fascinating. Tell me a bit more about what is it about the daily mapping that's so fascinates you? What does it tell? To share a bit about the draw. What was the draw? What was the, you know, perhaps how you got introduced to the text and, and why is it that it so captivated you? So I think it has to do with my personal experience. That's um, as soon as I got initiated. Um, that's the first text that came to mind, and uh, and actually, I started to listen to it. I started to read about it, and I started to chant it. And um, and I realized that as I was chanting, there were a lot of things that um, that I was learning, and uh, and I found it incredibly fascinating because there's also this energy in the text, uh, you know, within the mantras, and just chanting of the text really. Um, it is really beautiful, so that um, as as a mode in order to to basically understand uh, ultimate reality or one's purpose in life or whatever intention that that one might have. So that is something that basically fascinated me, and um, and then as I read, I was like, oh, it would be great to sort of unpack this, even uh, you know, philosophically, uh, theologically. So that's basically. Um, what I started to do and um yeah and I totally enjoyed the experience yeah yeah I, I can relate it really is a captivating text it's I mean it's so unique in in in, in presenting the feminine as supreme and it's so um masterful at weaving together strands uh, of previous ideas and motifs mythic motifs and philosophical concepts into this this vision, uh, it's it's sort of it's presenting something new within the Indic world, and also saying no, she's already been here. We've been talking about her as yeah. property, as Maya, and it's it's a, it's an utterly fascinating text. Um, actually, my dissertation, which was my first book, was the first um, narrative analysis of the Devi Mahatmya, looking at it as a narrative and, and making sense of its structure as a ring composition, for example. It really is a captivating text. Oh yeah, totally. And I think what's what's great about it is that you know it's sort of it's it's great because it asserts the the uh, not just the transcendent aspect because there are a lot of religious traditions that talk about the transcendent aspect, but it talks about prakriti, about you know materiality as being divine, and not just divine but as being the goddess herself, you know, her form, and. I don't know, and when I think about you know just what what other text has done that, I I find nothing comes to mind. I'm sure there there are some uh, texts out there in the world, but at least I'm not aware of them. But yeah, so. well, it's it's it seems to me an important corrective and the pendulum swinging back towards center from sort of this Upanishadic idea or this ascetic idea that the divine is wholly beyond and transcendent. And I think part of what's captivating, at least uh, teaching on the Devi Mahatmya and sort of 
Western continuing studies contexts, part of what's captivating is um, divine imminence. That, that really, you know, what better text do we have within the Indic world um, uh, that can serve as a platform for ecological activism, for example, or or, or the or the valuing of, of of the embodied state in all bodies. You know, she who resides in all bodies, all beings. Men, women, children, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and so, um, it, it, it to my mind, it's 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 surprising that this text would have um, been preserved or even sort of would have been crafted within uh, a Brahmanic, uh, obviously patriarchal world. But clearly, her worship was so was so um, trenchant. I mean, clearly, presumably. There were so many yeah. individuals worshiping her on the folk level that they had to give her a Sanskrit text. But they did a masterful job of not just creating a deity with a feminine face, but really theologizing and mythologizing the feminine mode, the feminine principle, right? And I think divine eminence is, is, is a crucial part of that. Yeah, and I think that the 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 theology is so deep. It It has like, multiple levels so you have to sort of unpack it and even though you may read it you have to sort of um develop like an experiential understanding of what it is and 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 it's really wonderful that uh it's still being recited in temples you know and during the Navratri, uh, which is the nine-day festival uh, dedicated to the great mother goddess you know you have the daily mahatma that is chanted so it's really beautiful that it is still being valued and it should be um, um, about the philosophy, the 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 you know the the, the uh, theological or the theological uh, aspects also sort of have to be recognized, which I think um, um, is sometimes not understood by a lot of people. But th- I think that that part once once I think people start recognizing that part, um, um, I think it'll be great and be much more wonderful than what it already is. Well, well, narrative, uh, mythological narratives do the heavy lifting of theology, yeah. but they do so in a sort of covert, entertaining, charming, sometimes naive, slow, you know, the, the manner. They're, they, they, um, unassuming. They're unassuming in the truths that they encode. So the narrative is utterly rich. But if you tease out the the philosophical view, the the, the vision of the Devi Mahatmya. It's profound, and it's it's unlike anything we see in the Indic world, and to my knowledge, it's unlike anything we see in any religion, actually. Yeah, you know, Raj, I'm writing another paper, and it's really interesting. So in that paper, it's a short paper, I argue that in the Devi Mahatmya, there is a hidden form of Shakta Yoga, and we can sort of understand what the Shakta Yoga is if we understand Sanskrit terms. So for example, you know, the, the name of the king uh, is Surat, so that means noble chariot, and uh, chariot is another metaphor for yoga. And then we have Samadhi, who comes and uh, who's a merchant, and you know they both meet and you know the story. So, so the merchant whose name is Samadhi, and we know Samadhi means uh, altered states of consciousness. So within the Devi Mahatmyam, there's literally so much, just like all these uh, hidden golden nuggets. So I argue that within Devi Mahatma, there is also, also uh, a form of Shakta Yoga, which depends on the justice and you know the the power of the goddess, um, um, and and it is the goddess who does 
whose grace basically enables the practitioner to reach altered states of consciousness and also to understand ultimate reality. So it's a much more faster uh, way of understanding ultimate reality. Fascinating. We'll have to continue a conversation about this. Is there anything else about this book that you wanted to touch on before we close? Um, no, I think I think I really enjoyed writing the book, and I hope that whoever um, reads it will also sort of benefit from you know uh, from everything that is sort of um, delineated in the book. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you very much. For those listening, we've been speaking with uh, Dr. Bravina Rodriguez on a Shakti method for comparative theology, upside down, inside out. Uh, until next time, keep well, keep listening, keep reading, and keep contemplating the power of the feminine. Take care.